1: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com
2: backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Um, I'm Jessica Rivera, and um, I am from uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And um, I was... Uh, raised in the barrio it's called Barrio Sabanayana and uh, I was raised by my grandmother who was a community organizer Um, and it was normal to me to like there's something going on in the community so we have to organize and help
3: My name is Eddie Guerra and I, I was born and raised in a small town in the west of Puerto Rico it's called San Sebastian so I grew up about a little bit about my family i I grew up in a uh, Pentecostal very religious family, very conservative family. My father uh, was a chaplain also and uh, I've, I've always been very involved in my church and, and it was very it was very important to me
4: Hey outside in listeners meet Jezebel and Eddie. Like many great love stories, theirs starts somewhere romantic.
3: It was October twenty third of two thousand eight when I gave a a we I organized a um, public speaking a public and speaking writing. yeah technical writing workshop. session event mm-hmm. right a workshop, and I was by the by then I was a president of a student organization for the American Concrete Institute. All right, and uh, it was part of my civil engineering program. And that night I met her, uh, but it was more of a hello, how are you, and, and that's it. Uh, but very professional, right? Very I boring. I was on mission. I, I was like,
2: I'm a president. This would be in this. This topic is interest. It's interesting for my students. So like, I was on mission. So I think I, I, I we, we talked and
3: it was all business. It was right was Yeah. Yes. No. No. <laughs> nothing else. Very boring. We didn't see each other again until my last day, my very last day. I finished classes, I finished finals. And then I saw her at the uh at the, in in, the streets. In the, in the streets yeah. where everybody gathers in, in the in the town of Mayaguez when they're done with finals, I saw her dancing salsa in the streets.
2: But my side of the story is that between that workshop and the time that we we saw each other in the streets i had already checked you on facebook and like i did my (laughs) fbi work like who is this guy
3: (laughs) the first time i danced salsa was when i met jezebel
2: uh
3: it was forbidden to dance salsa in my home
4: um i grew up and
2: then my name is jezebel yeah
4: (laughs) remember eddie grew up a preacher's son in a Pentecostal church.
3: Well, Jezebel was a wicked <laughs> queen from the from the Old Testament. You see. <laughs> that was December sixteenth, two thousand eight. Since that day, we have been talking every, every day. Single
2: day. Yeah.
4: Like I said, this is a love story, but in this love story, it's not just. Boy meets girl, the two fall in love. it's boy meets girl and the two fall in love with one of the most controversial proposed solutions to climate change nuclear energy
3: we we learned that it was not too much about the technology but about trust
2: mm-hmm. that's right?
4: This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans Brown. Today on the show, inside a grassroots effort to convince Puerto Rico to build a nuclear power plant. A nuclear power plant on an island that's right in the middle of the Atlantic hurricane track. Is that a good idea? It's a question that gets to the heart of one of the most heated debates in environmentalism today. What will our transition to a low carbon future actually look like? Eddie and Jezebel's story gets all tangled up in nuclear power after college. Eddie majored in civil engineering, where he learned all about protecting big structures from earthquakes.
3: And I graduated 2009, 2010 timeframe where, the, the, you know, just recently the market had crashed and uh, there were no new buildings being uh, built in Puerto Rico, so in the U.S. So it was the worst time for a structural designer To graduate with that degree, and I said, oh my goodness, I've had about eight interviews, and what what the hell is going on?
4: As he left grad school, Jezebel had just finished undergrad and had been accepted to the University of Pittsburgh for her master's. Eddie moved there to join her.
2: The next weekend, we went to this uh, Latin American uh, picnic, and you met somebody there that said, actually, we're looking for an engineer with your background.
3: Correct, yeah, yeah. And he yeah, he approached me, and, and I met him. And to my surprise, there was one industry that was hiring, and that was the nuclear industry. That was October 5th is when I finally started. But then in 2011, <clears throat> the Fukushima Daiichi accident happened. And it was the the earthquake, the nine-point magnitude earthquake, uh, that triggered the tsunami of more than 40 feet tall tsunami that really wiped out and, and and flooded the emergency diesel generators of the Fukushima Daiichi plant. So that was a very, very scary moment, and the whole world paralyzed in that day. Then the U.S. Uh, the US Congress mandated all U.S. nuclear licensees to perform seismic evaluations of all the reactors here in the U.S.
4: What are the odds of that? Eddie graduated with a degree that he thought he would use to protect bridges and skyscrapers from earthquakes in L.A. or something, but instead he lands in the nuclear industry by chance just five months before an earthquake. Exactly the type of risk he studied causes the worst nuclear accident in a generation absolutely and
2: it took you around the world you you went to south africa yeah
3: yeah then the rest is history and i was so lucky that i was one of the first engineers to do these evaluations uh after fukushima and i saw by the numbers how safe resilient and rugged our existing plants are against earthquakes.
4: And what are the odds of this, too? That a disaster, a massive safety failure, would lead Eddie to eventually believe that nuclear is much, much safer than he ever knew. Now I'm moving on into this
3: new reactor technology that is way more, way safer with additional safety barriers.
4: This is how Eddie and Jezebel would come to find themselves in the midst of what has become one of the biggest wedges that divides the many groups of people who all call themselves environmentalists. Way back before James Hansen, who famously brought climate change to the center of our political discourse, way before climate change was a glimmer in his computer models, opposition to nuclear power was a central tenet of American environmentalism. Greenpeace, the Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, the Union of Concerned Scientists, all of these groups have either been actively opposed to nuclear power or at least skeptical of society's need for it. But as we've drifted further and further downstream towards the falls of some of the more dramatic impacts of climate change, advocates for the technology have begun to multiply. And some old nuclear opponents, like James Hansen himself, have even flipped and become advocates. The question the movement writ large is actively wrestling with is can or should we try to design a zero-carbon future that ignores nuclear power? Or does it have to be part of the solution? Okay, now before we get back to Gessabelli-Eddy, let's just do a bit of Nuclear 101. The new reactors Eddy learned about while traveling all over the world are collectively referred to as advanced nuclear power. The nuclear reactors you've probably heard of, probably the ones that have had catastrophic or near-catastrophic accidents, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, are all light water reactors.
5: Light water just means regular water. Um, So, so water cold.
4: This is Jessica Lovering. She researches and works on nuclear energy. She's wrapping up her PhD at Carnegie Mellon University. Nuclear fission generates a lot of heat. That's what makes it dangerous. The term nuclear meltdown literally means that the uranium is allowed to get so hot that it melts and burns through steel and concrete and anything else in its way. To keep it under control, light water reactors just pump a ton of water. If you can't keep the pumps going, the water boils off and the core gets really hot.
5: Water boils at pretty low temperatures, um, relatively. And so it's always an issue when you're trying to cool a reactor of... How do you keep the water from boiling? How do you contain the high pressure of the steam? And how do you keep pumping in that water?
4: Advanced nuclear designs, the ones that got Eddie excited, they ditch water altogether.
5: For a lot of these designs, they just can't have those meltdowns that we've experienced with Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and Fukushima.
4: There are a whole slew of these water-free designs, but just one example is called a molten salt reactor. Instead of water, it cools with liquid salt, which cannot get hot enough to boil off.
5: The reactor can sort of cool itself through natural processes, um convective cooling like a, you know, soup in a pot.
4: The elegance of these new designs is what Eddie fell in love with. This is what led him to start assembling his dream team, nuclear engineers who were all part of the Puerto Rican diaspora.
3: I immediately reached out to a couple friends of mine from Puerto Rico and that also worked in the U.S. nuclear industry. And I told them, guys, th- these small reactors are something so different. W- why not presenting these, this option to the current energy crisis going on in Puerto Rico?
4: Generating electricity on islands is a constant struggle. Fuel has to come in on a boat. Connecting to nearby neighbors to import or export power is expensive or impossible, and that drives up costs. Puerto Rico has some of the highest electricity rates in the United States. It means that things that might not make economic sense on the mainland can pencil out on islands. They can be laboratories for solutions that are almost cheap enough for the mainstream, but not quite.
3: This was 2015, Sam. I reach out to
4: good friends of mine,
3: people who work as operators for Exelon, which is one of the biggest nuclear operators in the nation, people who work for Bechtel, for example, who is one of the biggest designers of nuclear power plants. So we got together and we said, no one had to convince us that from a technical point of view, this makes sense. We were convinced because we were in the trenches. We did the work. No one had to convince us about this,
2: and this is the part that I always like to 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 talk about because Eddie's having this. This is this is happening in our, in our dinner table, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. On one side Eddie's having all these conversations with his you know his colleagues and you know all these papers and then on the other side of the table I am planning events and doing you know community engagement projects
4: this might be a good place to note that a lot of people are really freaked out by nuclear power and the first skeptic that Eddie had to convince was Jezebel remember she had worked in community organizing she went on to get her degree in public health.
2: Eddie somebody that you know whatever he's into it's a good thing so you should follow right but then this time this one this time was difficult cuz we were talking about like nuclear in Puerto Rico i'm like what would happen if you know there's an earthquake and what would happen if you know it would explode and where would people go and Um, You know, why do we need nuclear? We have solar and wind and all the renewables that we can do. So I went and and started finding, um, you know, information on my own. And I couldn't find a reason not to like nuclear. That's when I started telling, you know, Eddie, like, okay, we we need to talk about this differently.
4: If Eddie brought the enthusiasm for the technology, Jezebel brought the savvy. To know that the technology has baggage,
2: like everybody have watched The Simpsons, and I think it was like my favorite one. So that's, I mean, number one. That's like how it works for me, right? Like I'm thinking that it shines, you know, green, and it's like all liquid, and like you have an operator that doesn't care, you know, like all these different things. Like that's what I had in my mind. And um, but then, uh, of course, I also think about Chernobyl. Of course, I also think think about Fukushima and then that's it. Right. But then uh, remember that I come in from the public health standpoint and that I'm doing a lot of social justice kind of work. So um, in social justice kind of work, we are kind of against anything that is an elite. Right. So the rich you know, white people are the ones that you know never want to really do something for the community, right? So nuclear—that's um, the image that I had to. Yeah. And that was also something that I said no, like it, it just just it doesn't fit in Puerto Rico. And we have been very particular on who and how we bring people into this project because it has to be somebody that really cares about you know, the community and really wants to uh, make a difference.
4: The organization they create together, the Nuclear Alternative Project, is designed to be the opposite of what has driven the creation of nuclear power plants previously. Instead of top-down, it would be bottom-up. The organization is all-volunteer. Instead of prescriptive, it would be collaborative. They want a conversation and study on the nuclear question, a discussion of whether and how and where the technology could fit on the island. And instead of being driven by colonial urges, it would be local. All of the members were born on Puerto Rico, but had to move away. Hello, my name is Jesus M. Nunez. I was born, raised in Puerto Rico. Hi,
0: my name is Olga Marie Toledo born and raised in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico.
3: I am Luis Rodriguez. I am uh, a person that was born in Puerto Rico.
0: Ever since I left Puerto Rico in 2011, I was longing for an opportunity to give back to Puerto Rico uh, with my professional background. Since I learned
5: about their effort, I have contacted
3: many of my friends and other residents in Puerto Rico.
5: We Boricuas are very
2: resistive to change, especially when it comes from outsiders. I believe that the discussion is different because we are born and raised in Puerto Rico. and. We also put our passion and commitment to this project because we want the best for our family members that are still living in there.
0: So I really look forward for many more Boricuas to learn about all that nuclear power has to offer and to, like me, realize it is possible and it would be of great benefit to the island.
4: Before we go any farther, we need just a splash more context. On top of having the expensive electricity challenge that all islands have, Puerto Rico has its own challenges, unique to its history. And to give us kind of the pocket, postcard version of how Puerto Rico's grid got the way it is today, we're going to turn to Javier Rua. He's a lawyer from the island who's worked for various government regulators and is now working for a renewable energy company.
6: Puerto Rico's electric company has been, uh, you know, or had been a self-regulated monopoly for all of its life.
4: Puerto Rico has just one electric company, PREPA. It's owned and operated by the Puerto Rican government. And until 2014, it was self-regulated. Back before the infamous Arab oil embargoes of the 1970s, Puerto Rico had a bunch of oil refineries in the south of the island.
6: But those things just became dinosaurs after the oil embargo, and all that demand was lost.
4: But a bunch of power plants had already been built down in the south to power the refineries. But meanwhile, most of the people live in the north. And uh, and and you have to
6: transmit uh, that power over mountains, uh, you know, 60, 70 miles of cables.
4: That's the first ingredient, the long fuse in a coming disaster, a heavy reliance on long-distance poles and wires. The second ingredient was political and economic.
6: Puerto Rico's economic development has been, you know, based for for most of its history on tax breaks, uh, Section 936, uh, which, which was a federal tax break. And when those tax breaks were started to be seen by Congress as kind of like, Corporate welfare—they were—they started to be faced out.
4: This was under Bill Clinton in the late '90s.
6: And as they f- were faced out, uh, you know, at least at least a third of our industrial base left.
4: We're talking about factories closing on mass and moving elsewhere. All of Prepa's customers disappearing. When this happens in the electricity business, there are two options: raise rates, which is super unpopular, or don't spend money on trimming trees, replacing and fixing old leaning utility poles, shoring up old infrastructure.
6: And then you had this system that that was, was and is cash uh, strapped uh, that couldn't really do significant uh, infrastructure maintenance and uh, it starts becoming really old.
4: So Puerto Rico had an old fashioned system that required a lot of upkeep but a single utility that could no longer afford to maintain it. There are a lot of ways that you could quantify this, but here's one number that blew me away. When you transmit electricity from one place to another, some of it gets lost along the way. On the continental U.S., we waste about 5% of the electricity we generate. In Puerto Rico, it's more like 17%. So that's ingredient number two, old infrastructure.
6: Uh, And then you're hit by a storm.
4: What did Hurricane Maria do to Jezebel and Eddie's campaign to bring nuclear to the island? That's after a break.
1: Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages.
0: monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are
5: tap the banner to go to monday.com
0: hey everyone it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call
3: Hurricane Maria happened in September 2017. October 2017, I went to Puerto Rico, and I took supplies and food to my father and my mother and my family in my hometown of San Sebastian. It was for the first time my dad called me to tell me, Eddie, if you have some water, just let us know because we, there's, it's difficult to find water here. And that
4: scared me. And I said, wow, it, it's, this time it's different. This part of the story you know. Thousands died. It took almost a full year to restore power to the last home. But at the same time, something else was happening.
2: The, the solar industry really saved people in Puerto Rico. Let's put it out there. You cannot take that away. Um, and it really uh, solved an issue that was, you know, that was immediate. Like was, there was an emergency, and, and this technology really responded the way that it needed.
4: The number of rooftop solar installations on the island doubled in the 12 months after Hurricane Maria. And politically, it was a huge moment for renewable energy advocates.
2: Maria, what it did was, like, it just, everybody was on fire. Everybody was, like, you know, traumatized of everything that's happening. So these groups were already pushing for renewables. And these groups were already um, looking for this independence. So... Maria happens, and then all these groups came together and started pushing, let's move to 100% renewable because that's the solution.
4: This past spring, Puerto Rico passed a law calling for the island to be powered by 100% renewable energy by 2050. That explicitly means not nuclear energy. Nuclear doesn't emit carbon, but it still uses a fuel, uranium, that we have to dig up from underground. It's not part of this definition. You might think that this would have been the death knell for Jezebel and Eddie's project, but they haven't given up.
2: But what Maria did in Puerto Rico is that it it, it made people look at each other and say, we can do this on our own. We don't need the government. We can do this on our own. And it's it just true. like it yeah. really created and and, and and brought all this power that was asleep in the people. So it created this beautiful thing. And that's why, um, you know, I am not against uh, renewable whatsoever. What I am against is that um, the, the renewable industry really saw an opportunity here to push the entire agenda. But interestingly, we, we have... Uh, Pharmaceuticals and manufacturing and energy-intensive industries that need a different kind of energy as well.
4: Puerto Rico gets a lot of sun, and it's not hard to get a solar and battery array that can provide most or all of your day-to-day power. But what if you've got a pharmaceutical facility that has three shifts working to keep that factory going around the clock? What if you've got a factory that needs megawatts of power 24-7? Jezebel and Eddie are saying... Renewables are fine, but we want more.
3: We know that Puerto Rico is not a third world country. We know the huge potential in Puerto Rico to be kind of you know the Singapore of the Caribbean. That's how we see it. So when, when we see from an engineering and technical point of view that a vision, a strong and modern economy like that, is proposed to be sustained by renewables, from an engineering and technical point of view, we see huge
4: inconsistencies. PREPA, the one electric company on Puerto Rico, just released their plan for the next 20 years. It involves shutting down power plants that burn coal and oil and replacing them with solar power and natural gas. It calls for two new terminals to import liquefied natural gas and replace a whole fleet of almost two dozen small natural gas-fired power plants scattered all over the island. Rather than taking aim at the renewable energy part of that equation, Jezebel and Eddie are taking aim at the natural gas part of the plan. Now, you might think, okay, we've spent this whole episode talking about this grand vision of nuclear energy powering the Singapore of the Caribbean, but you've only just barely mentioned the fact that many people are terrified of this technology and want to be nowhere near it. And while that's true, there's actually a reason that nuclear might not have a future on Puerto Rico, or anywhere for that matter, that really kind of trumps the whole fear thing. When we think about... uh, why it's necessary to come up with with these new designs can I mean I guess the question is like what what is the question they're trying to answer. Is it really safety or No.
5: Yeah, I think the big challenge of nuclear and the big obstacle is actually cost. It's not safety.
4: That's Jessica Lovering of Carnegie Mellon University again.
5: And the two are, are related in some ways. It can be very expensive to guarantee Safety, if you're doing it in inefficient ways through lots of backup systems and redundant safety systems that you have to engineer to really precise levels.
4: Relative to other sources, there's not much nuclear power being built in the Western world right now. And among the plants that are being built, there have been some spectacular cost overruns. A huge plant in Georgia was first proposed at $14 billion, but at last check was expected to cost $25 billion. Another underway in Great Britain was expected to cost 16 billion pounds, but has since ballooned to 22 billion pounds. A third in France was pitched at 3.3 billion euros and was planned to open in 2012. But as of last month, the new cost estimate is over 12 billion euros, four times as much, and it's still not finished. In other words, before we even get to the point where plants get proposed and people get freaked out by them, They need to be cheap enough that someone's got to be willing to pay for them. And for these next generation advanced reactors to take off, the biggest hurdle they have to overcome is this history the industry has of totally blowing their budgets.
5: And if they're not competitive, then they won't happen. And so um, I think there with more in the anti-nuclear crowds, you see this concern of like, oh, we don't want the government funding another nuclear boondoggle. and You know, they're right.
4: Jessica says, historically, there have been a few countries in a few times in history that have managed to build cost-effective nuclear power industries. France in the 70s, South Korea right now. And the lesson from those countries is that you have to go big. Building a lot of plants allows the industry to figure out how to make them efficiently. And she thinks that's one of the reasons that building smaller plants, like the kind Eddie and Jezebel are promoting, might actually help drive costs down.
5: While the U.S. has a long history with nuclear, France has a long history with nuclear, they really haven't been building that much in the past. So, you know, these plants that are under construction at Georgia are sort of the first ones in 30 years. And so it's, you're sort of starting all over again. So you lost a lot of that um, knowledge and expertise and sort of capabilities to build these plants. So if the reactors get smaller, The market can stay the same size, but it means you're getting more multiples of that factory fabrication. So you're getting more learning by doing. It's not just about getting one project built. It's about setting up the regulation and the market incentives so that you're going to build many of these over time. And when they're really small, it helps you get those many lined up to go.
4: So that's the bullish case on why advanced nuclear might work out assuming it actually can drive down costs. But even if it can do so, people in Puerto Rico still might not go for it. Why?
6: No, okay, so here's my recent backup history, which is the the times that my grid has gone down.
4: This is Javier Rua again, the former regulator. The renewable energy company that he works for now is called Sunrun. It sells solar panels and backup battery systems. He pulled up his smartphone app to read to me all of the outages that his home had had recently.
6: November 11th six minutes, <laughs> November 6th, five minutes, November 4th, five minutes, November 3rd, 13 minutes, November 3rd, one minute, November 3rd again, four minutes, November 2nd, five minutes, October 31st, seven minutes, and it keeps on going. And then yeah. uh, it, it's kind of like every day or every two days.
4: Yeah.
6: October 11th, there was a two-hour outage. October 8th, there was a two-and-a-half-hour outage. And it keeps on going until since time, installed my system.
4: The lights are on again in Puerto Rico, but the island's grid is still very fragile. And so-called blue sky outages happen almost every week. Puerto Ricans spend about five times more hours without electricity than your average mainland customer. So Puerto Ricans are already voting with their feet, installing solar panels and batteries at a pretty impressive clip. And this again means there are fewer customers paying for Prepa's old, gasping poles and wires. Those same poles and wires that are already failing every other day and dropping people's power.
6: Everybody suffered after Maria. You know, all social classes. We all we all learned what it means to not have power for months. And uh, because we understand, we've we've suffered, right? We know what what power is. We know not only the cost of power, but the value of it, you know. Solar and storage is just uh, a proposal that really has met, you know, its price points that, and now are getting better and better and better and better.
4: It might be that PREPA is just not poised to be on the cutting edge of anything right now. As it stands, they're facing a decades-long slog to work their way back out of crippling debt, it's a lot. But Jezebel and Eddie are a long way from giving up. Uh, in this fall, kind of against all odds, they achieved a major milestone in injecting nuclear back into the conversation.
2: Good morning, everybody. My name is Jezebel Rivera, and I am the executive director and
4: The Nuclear Alternative Project, Jessabelle and Eddie's all-volunteer collection of diaspora nuclear engineers, won a grant from the United States Department of Energy, more than $800,000 to do a feasibility study of advanced nuclear power on the island. This was the press conference they called in San Juan.
2: We are not going to build a nuclear plant. We are not going to push the envelope for nuclear. We are going to find information if nuclear is... uh, Feasible to be part of this discussion on how do we get to our goals.
4: Who knows if they stand a chance of convincing Puerto Rico to give advanced nuclear a chance? As it stands, they're not getting much help from the mass media. The freelancer we hired to go to this press conference was the only reporter in the audience. Then again, Maybe we're not the audience that matters.
2: Um, we want to uh, make sure that we're going to the plazas and we are having models in the plazas and we're with the people and they can see it, they can touch it, they can break it down.
3: The technology is not the roadblock in Puerto Rico, but we need to engage the public. We need to use this, the results of this feasibility study, as Will said, to engage the people from the beginning. Let them feel that they are the main stakeholder in this process. Uh, From there, uh, Sam, many things can happen.
4: Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, with help from Jimmy Gutierrez, Justine Paradise, Sarah Ernst, and especially Taylor Quimby. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is director of Blue Sky Outage Ice Cream Scavenging. Please do remember... Outside In is a public radio show, and public radio does rely on donations if you want it to happen. We have lots of great thank you gifts to those who do support the show. You can find them at OutsideInRadio.org. Also... Find us on the social medias. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Outside In Radio. Music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music was made by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.